right, I was just going to leave that there, okay? <laughs> and we are going to pray that that stays there and works, okay, church? Because I, I like to have my hands free, so. All right, sorry about the technical difficulties there, everybody. Um, thank you for taking that moment to just stop and pray together. Uh, just an important piece of the life of the church. We want to just continue to encourage on, and uh, what, a, what a blessed time it is to be able to gather together on a Sunday morning and spend a few minutes in prayer. Um, as we get going, too, I want to go ahead and invite you to uh, open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of John in chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be continuing on in our series. Maybe it's not any better, huh, guys? We'll <laughs> be continuing on in our series uh, th- that we started for Advent, which we entitled Emmanuel, uh, which, of course, Matthew tells us in his Gospel in chapter 1, uh, Emmanuel means God with us. And we've spent uh, the last couple weeks looking at what that means, where we see God with us in Scripture, and uh, where uh, that will ultimately lead us to uh, next week as uh, Pastor Eric opens up Revelation and we see where we are uh, with Christ uh, in the, uh, in, into eternity as well. Ooh. Am I going to have to go back? I need to move the handheld. That's off. All right, we'll pray for the best, church, right? We'll pray for the best. I, I needed a fourth prayer pump up there today, apparently, for the, the microphones. All right, so yeah, please open up the Gospel of John. Um, we're going to be reading uh, chapter 1, the first 18 verses here in just a minute. Uh, as you guys are turning or opening up, flipping on your phone, I just did want to mention, too, something I've been meaning to mention for a couple of weeks now, but the, um, the sermon outline and, and any notes and community group questions are now available on the website uh, for you if you ever want to follow along. If you have the Our Church app installed on your phone, you can uh, open that up and uh, open it up to our page. There's actually a button at the bottom that says uh, Sermon Notes. So if you want to follow along that way, if it's better for you than uh, watching on the screen, or if you want to follow along later, uh, that's a resource that we want to just continue to make available to the church, and hopefully not just make available, but to continue to build out uh, as a really nice resource for us as we find ways to dig into the Scripture and, and study a little bit deeper with one another. So I just want to make that plug. If you haven't seen it yet, it is there on the website and through the app if you want to follow along with the sermon notes and the outline uh, that way. So hopefully uh, after that little uh, ad, which I gained nothing from, <laughs> hopefully after that little ad though, uh, you guys are at the Gospel of John chapter 1. I'm going to go ahead and read for us, so please follow along. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and to his people, or he came to his own, and his people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, 
full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Christ, Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. This is the word of the Lord, church. As we get started, I want to ask us a a question to think about. Uh, Church, if you were to head out to the street today and you were to ask a hundred people right now who Jesus is and why he came to this earth 2,000 years ago, what do you think they would tell you? What kind of answers would we get? I imagine you'd run into some who would say Jesus was some kind of peaceful hippie who stood up to power and against oppression. You come across Mormons who would say that Jesus is the spirit child of a God named Elohim and, and that Jesus is the brother of Lucifer and he's the one who offered the plan of free will to bring about the exaltation of man. And, and that's why Jesus was chosen over Lucifer to be the savior of the world. You might come across Jehovah's Witnesses who would try to tell us that Jesus is not the God, but he's a God and he's actually a lesser being and he was actually the first creation of Jehovah and he's actually the archangel Michael. You might speak to a Muslim who would tell you that Jesus was some kind of great prophet. Or you talk to a Jew who would say that Jesus was just another zealot and he was a false messiah. Or maybe a professor of religion who would try to say that Jesus was just another of humanity's great moral teachers. Or maybe even someone else who just tries to claim that Jesus was just a myth. Really, in the pluralistic world we live in today, if you took me up on my offer of going out and asking 100 people uh, who Jesus is, you might just get 100 different answers. This is why we must look to our Bibles, church. This is why we must look to the Scripture. Because in our Bibles, we don't have to wonder who Jesus is. We don't have to sit there and guess about who He is. We don't have to wonder what it was He was trying to do in the Scripture We see him for who he is. We see him who he's going to be, whether it's here in our days on earth or whether it's at the end of our days or whether it's at the end of all days. We will see Christ for who he is. And scripture reveals that to us. This is why we look to our Bibles. We look to our Bibles because the Bibles contain these eyewitnesses account of who Christ is. So if we're asking that question of, Who is Jesus to people? And we're getting all of these different answers. We have to know where is the source to find the right answer, right? And we go to the scripture because of the eyewitness testimony of the men who walked with him, who heard him teach. So we have to ask ourselves the question, not just who is Jesus, but what do the eyewitnesses to Jesus' life tell us about who he is? These things have been written down for us by people who were eyewitnesses of him. These things uh, that we know about Jesus in our, in our scripture are, are things that were actually seen and heard from Jesus. This is not things that were written down by men in caves claiming revelation 700 years later after Jesus. 
This is not uh, being told to us by men with fancy degrees who hypothesize about what they really think Jesus is like now, 2,000 years after the fact. No, these accounts that we have in the Scripture are written down by the ones who were closest to Jesus, who followed in his footsteps as they gave their lives and gained nothing but ridicule and persecution and death to spread the good news and the hope of the message of Christ. These men left us a record of who he is and what he's done, and he's either who he claimed to be to his disciples, the ones who wrote these things down and passed them along until they reached us today, or he wasn't. That's the challenge for us this morning as we dig into the scripture, into this passage today, and as we continue on uh, this sermon series. We take this challenge because our sermon series, we said, is called Emmanuel, God with us. We wanted to see what it means for God to be present with his creation. We wanted to see what the fulfillment of that promise that we looked at in Isaiah chapter 7 actually looked like. And we wanted to answer the question, why is it that we actually celebrate Christmas? Why are we here with decorations and lights and candles and music? What are we gathering for? What are we gathering to celebrate? Well, these eyewitnesses make claims about who Jesus is. And these claims about who Jesus is, I think we see perfectly fulfilled what we've seen in week one and week two. Week one, we saw God promise in the garden in the face of man's rebellion. We saw God make a promise to send the seed of the woman who would restore and redeem creation. Genesis 3, it's this sad, sad story where we see Adam and Eve lose this good, close relationship with God that they shared in the garden upon their rebellion, upon eating the fruit of the tree they were commanded to not eat. But in that day when they ate that, God did not leave them alone and broken forever to be cast out. No, God made that promise, even there in the garden, that he would redeem his creation, that he would restore them to right relationship with himself, and that one was coming who was going to break this curse of sin which keeps men and God separated. In part one of our series we started a couple weeks ago was seeing God with his creation and seeing the loss of that for man. And that was lost because of his willful, sinful rebellion against his God. Part two, last week, of this series, we fast forwarded in time to the time of Israel as they were in this land that was promised to Abraham, but on the verge of losing it all and being put into exile. But even in the midst of this horrifying time, there seems to be a common theme there, right? Something horrible, terrifying, frightening, the loss of something that we hold so dear, this relationship and this promise of God. Even in the middle of that, what do we see God doing again? As evil kings are leading the hearts of men astray, God sends his prophet to the king of Judah and reminds the people who were there and present with him and reminds us as readers now looking back on this of the continuation of the promise of Yahweh. Men, you have failed. Evil king Ahaz, you have failed. 
You are leading the people astray. You are taking them away from God rather than toward God. But God's promise will be fulfilled. Though the people continue to reject him in Israel, though they continued to rebel against him, God is still at work in history to reverse that curse of sin and bring the redemption and the restoration to his people and to his creation. God has not failed. God will not fail. And the sign to look for as the people of Judah looked forward and for us to look back at now as a history of readers was what? It was that sign of Emmanuel, the sign that a virgin is giving birth to a son, the promised seed of the woman from Genesis 3. And this son will not be any ordinary boy, but he will be called, what's that word again? Emmanuel, God with us. We know God will not fail because it's God himself who is coming, church. What Adam and Eve lost in the garden will be restored and man will dwell again with God in his presence. That's the story so far for our series. And today we continue on looking at the Gospel of John for this reason, because God reveals himself to us through Jesus the Son, who we see in this text has existed eternally and equally with his Father and has come to dwell with men as a man. That's a massive statement that I just made there, is it not? There's a whole lot of theology contained in a, a few words right there for us. Hopefully we'll, we'll kind of see uh, some of these things brought to light here in just a minute in our text. But Jesus does this. He does this work. This one who has existed forever, who is God. He comes now as a man fulfilling the plans that God has promised for thousands of years. And he does this not just to, to uh, I mean, he does it for his glory, right? Don't, that's not what I'm trying to say. I almost said something heretical there, so you guys would have been throwing tomatoes at me. But God does this for a purpose. He does this as a fulfillment of a promise. So that, and this is the why, this is why we look at this text and, and what we want to be transformed by, by this text, so that when we trust and believe on him, through trusting and believing in Jesus, that is, we're transformed from our natural and sinful state into what? Children of God. Enemies to children. That's a glorious transformation, church. You're on the outside looking in to being brought close and invited to sit at the Lord's table with him. This is the dilemma of all men, of all humanity for all time. This is the promise that God made from the very beginning through the, the law and the prophets to the time and fulfillment in Christ. And this is why we look to the Gospel of John chapter 1 today to continue through this Advent series. It's Jesus who through the description for us in John 1 we see is truly Emmanuel. And he is far more than so many of the answers that you would get if you asked people who he was. Let's look back at the text for proof of that today. Look back at verse 1 and 2 with me, church. John writes this. The first words that he pens in his gospel, he says this. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. These first two verses that we have here that we just reread give us a tremendous amount of insight and information about the nature and the identity of who Jesus is. We see it first in verse 1, that phrase, in the beginning. In the beginning. What does that sound like, church? Does anybody have the parallel in their mind what that sounds like right now? Tell you what, that sounds an awful lot like Genesis chapter 1, doesn't it? That's the very first words of Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning. And John uses or starts his gospel narrative using these exact same words to describe who Jesus is. And the second idea, we see John introduced right away and then repeat again throughout the passage today is that Jesus is the Word, the Word of God. This is the second element, right? In the beginning, Jesus is the Word. If we think back to the creation account, God speaks everything in creation into being. God's not out there putting the universe together with hammers and nails, right? God's not sitting there uh, banging uh, things that exist already together. God speaks, and it is, and he makes creation that way. This is the power of God's word. So from the opening two verses of the Gospel of John, we see Jesus as this person who is not merely a human man, but someone who has always been. In the beginning, Jesus was already there. And we see that Jesus is no mere man, but he is the power of God because he is the word of God in the form of a person. These first two verses give us a very clear picture of these attributes and the nature and the identity of Jesus. He is eternal. He is there at the beginning with his father, equal in power with his father. The Greek the way the Greek uh, is rendered, this is a comment that gets made over and over again that, that if you looked at this sentence, the, the, the words literally mean that they are face to face. God is face to face with God. There's closeness and there's intimacy. Jesus is not lesser. Jesus is not created. Jesus is there with the Father and they are one. And this is the picture John gives us of who this man Jesus is right there in the beginning of his gospel. These first two verses give us a very clear picture of these attributes and nature and the identity of Jesus. And these characteristics are there because John wants, it to, make, or wants to make it clear to us as he begins to tell the story of Jesus exactly who it is we're dealing with. And going into verse 3, we see the power John attributes uh, to Christ, Right? the Word of God. Here he tells us that all things were made through him and without him was not anything that was made. Again, another statement that makes us acknowledge the Jesus that the disciples have, in, have instructed to teach us about is not one that is a created being, but one who was active at the work of creation in creating all things in the universe. And John, John writing this is not the only one who makes this claim about Jesus. Paul says almost the exact same thing for us in his letter to the Colossians in chapter 1. 
In verse 15, he writes this. He, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This Jesus is powerful. He is mighty. That phrase in uh, the Colossians uh, 15, it says the firstborn of creation isn't a statement of Jesus being created, but it's a statement of Jesus' preeminence, right? He is the king over creation. He's the son of the father. That's his preeminence. And in his preeminence and in his power, he has created all things and he is at work actively holding all things together, Paul tells us. Jesus is there in the beginning, and he is with God, and he is God, and he is the power of God to communicate and to create and to sustain. This is a very different Jesus than a lot of the answers we would get on the street, is it not, church? Verses 4 and 5, we get this other descriptor of Jesus that John uses to describe, uh, to describe him, and he uses it many, many times. And that's point number three up there. He describes Jesus as the light. The light of men. The life of Jesus, John tells us, is the light of men. The world we live in is dark, and men live in this world in a dark and spiritually blind state. And yet it is Jesus who is this power of life, who brings life to dead beings, who brings light to darkness. He has the power of eternal life, and this life brings light to men who dwell in the darkness in this world. And because this Jesus is eternal, he is all-powerful, he is co-equal of of, uh, his Father, he has the power to dispel this darkness. He has the power to look at the darkness in this world and to say, darkness you will not overcome. This light of Christ, which he brings to rescue men from the darkness of this world, will penetrate through the darkest of nights, and it will bring light, and it will bring hope, and it will bring the grace of God into a world that is in desperate need of this message. Now this man, this man Jesus, if we look at these four verses, we will see very quickly, is not a prophet, is not a hippie. He's not a moral teacher. No, this man, Jesus, is Emmanuel. I think this point gets reiterated for us in verses 6 to 8, and that's, that's that uh, sub-point A about the witness to the light. Here, John, uh, John the uh, disciple makes reference to John the Baptist who was a prophet to prepare the way for Christ. He was a prophet coming to prepare the way for the Messiah. And John the Baptist, being this and doing the work he did, was actually a fulfillment of Messianic prophecy as well, church. Jesus tells us this in Matthew chapter 11, that John the Baptist was coming the way to prepare for him. And this man, John the Baptist, who was a voice crying out in the wilderness, calling people to repentance and to return to the Lord, who has 
through, or who has through the work that the Lord has called him to, shown himself to be this great man of God that Israel has not seen in hundreds and hundreds of years. Even this man, who has crowds coming to him, tells us, and we're told in verses 6 to 8, that the crowds come and they ask him who he is, right? And he tells them, one is coming who I will not even be worthy to untie his sandals. This big, famous man who's walking around Israel, calling people to repent, working like a prophet. Something Israel has not seen in hundreds of years. Tells the people, it's not me. I'm here for someone else who's coming. John may be this bold man calling people to repent, but Jesus, he is something else entirely. And that's where we get in verses 6 to 8, this reference to this, this witness. In verse 8, uh, the, the disciple John says it, he was not the light, John the Baptist, but he came to bear witness about the light. Jesus is something else entirely. So if this is who Jesus is, church, if this is who Jesus is, what is it that he's come to do? What is it that he's come to do? I think that this is the way that, that these 18 verses kind of lay themselves out to be. We have these uh, first uh, five verses where these statements about who Christ is just uh, are just everywhere and rich and thick and not covered in enough detail uh, from what I just did. But then if we look to the rest of the passage, we're going to see a couple of things. One, the first thing we're going to see is that we see in verses 9 to 13, reconciliation through Jesus. What is it he's come to do? We know who he is. Why is he here? Verses 9 to 13, we see God through the son Jesus reconciling people who are lost and at war with God and redeeming them to a state to a place, to a relationship with God that none of us have any right to claim in and of ourselves. Verse 9, John uses that word uh, light again as a descriptor for the person of Jesus. And not only is this descriptor beautifully poetic, but how easy is it for us to grasp that picture of light and darkness, church? It's stark, right? We, we get it. Right? How, how many times have you ever been home and the power goes out in the middle of the night and the lights are out? Katie, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? And your kids, my kids, you, you panic and you have fear come over you because all of a sudden you could see and you could hear noise in the background. All of a sudden it's, it's dark and it's silent. And the fear that comes over you. And what do you do? You, you reach for what? You reach for a flashlight. Well, not now. Now you reach for your phone, which has your flashlight, right? But you're reaching for a flashlight. You're looking for anything that can pierce through the darkness so it can break through all the things you can't see before your mind starts to control you and take you away and create all kinds of fear. What do we do when we find ourselves outside at night, church? We look up in amazement at these stars that are piercing through this black night sky. The Christmas story, it's amazing, right? What's one of the, the symbols we always use for the Christmas story? That star, the star on top of the tree. 
right? That star in the Christmas story was used to guide uh, these pagans from the east to come to worship this newborn king of all of creation, this king of the Jews. Why? Because you have this bright star shining against this dark backdrop of night. This is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is. This descriptor of Jesus being true light gives us the image that Jesus is the one in whom we can look to to illuminate our path out of the darkness of sin. He is the one who shines light for us to see our wretched condition that we currently live in, and he is the light. He is the hope that we have to leave out of the darkness, to know that God will rescue us, lead us out of that, and the darkness will not prevail. I know many of us are facing dark situations in our lives. Some worse than others. Some are looking right now at the potential end of our days. And it can be frightening. We can have hope today in Christ that He has prevailed over the darkness, church. We can have hope because we've seen Christ live. We've seen Him suffer. We've seen Him die. But you know what else we've seen Him do, church? We've seen him rise. And he's promised, he's promised to rise us with him too. The darkness will not prevail, church. We will not be overcome with the darkness. Though we live in this world and we face the darkness and we wrestle through with that, this time is temporary and it's fleeting. And Christ will shine his light and lead us through this church. The, little, the literal contrast in the picture of light and darkness, it's stark. And well, John uses the picture of light and darkness, and he tells us this light goes out to everyone. We see in verse 11 that the light came first to his own people. Jesus brought this light. He brought himself to the people of God's promise, and the people did not receive him. I feel like I'm reading Romans right now, and I'm reading Paul more than I'm reading John in this moment, right? This is, this is a big piece of the controversial pieces of Romans. But Jesus came to his own people and they rejected him. They turned from him. But Jesus, who is this true light, who is the fulfillment of the promise God made to Abraham, and that promise that God made to Abraham is that through his offspring, the nations would be blessed. So it's never just been for Israel. It's never just been for one people group. That one people group was intended to bring forth the promise, and they were always intended to be shining the light to the nations. And Christ is this light that has come from Israel. Christ is the light now for everyone. And though the people God had preserved to bring forth the Messiah have now or have rejected Christ, John tells us this, Paul tells us this, the gospel narratives all tell us this. God uses this rejection to bring all the nations into the inheritance of Abraham. And what's the inheritance of Abraham? Being a child of God. John tells us in verse 12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right 
to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Through Christ, through the power of God, He takes people and He makes them what? He makes them His children. He makes them His children. Do we feel the weight of that church? Do we see, do we see the amazing gift that that is for us? Being a child of God, church, it satisfies, it satisfies, I think, a deep longing inside all of our souls. Every single one of us in this room, I'm sure, have looked into a mirror at some point and have asked the question, what's the point? Why am I here? Does my life matter? Does this mean anything at all whatsoever? We've all looked in the mirror and we've all asked that question and we've all looked for that answer. Because we've lived in this world in darkness. And what we need is the light of Christ. To know that through Him, we can be children of God. To know that we've messed up, we've fallen short, we've hurt the people we love, we have looked God and we have spit in His face, and we have rejected Him. And we've said, I don't need you, God. I got this. How do I make that better? How, how do I fix that? I messed it up. I messed up my marriage. I messed up my kids. I messed up my relationship with God. How does that get better? That gets better through Christ. That gets better through his death and his burial and his resurrection and his grace and his forgiveness. He has taken that sin and that shame and that distance from God. And he has brought us back. So we're not enemies. So he wipes literally that spit on his face that we cast onto him. And he still holds out his hand and says, come, sit with me, eat and drink with me, live, live with me. This is the deep longing inside of our souls, church. And when Christ answers those things, the next thing he answers is, is we have this question, right? Well, if this is what it means, then how should I live? Who am I? What does that mean? The world is crying out with this identity question, right? It, it is the question of the day. And the world tells you to find your identity in all the wrong things and in all the wrong places. It tells, it to find, tells you to find it in your hobbies. It tells you to find it in your work. It tells you to, to find it in your, your sexual preferences. It tells you to find it in all of these worldly things. And it's sending us on a, a complete rabbit trail where we chase our tails in circles, looking inward, when what we need to be doing is looking outward and upward to Christ. How should I live and what is my, what is my identity found in? This is a deep longing of our soul. And we find the answer, we find the satisfying answer for that in being a child of God and being his child in faith and being redeemed, restored, reconciled creatures in this world who have a hope of life eternal in our Savior Christ.
That's where we need to find our identity. Those deep longings of our soul, church, are found inside this light who came to the world. No one else can do this for us. No one else has the mission or the power to do this for us. No one except for God, and he does this through the power of his son, Jesus Christ. The first thing that I think we see in verses 9 to to 14, church, I said, or 13, we see uh, John telling us is that we have reconciliation with God through Jesus today, church. We know who he is, and this is one of the things that he came to do. The second thing Jesus came to do is we have revelation of God through Jesus. We see it laid out for us in verses 14 to 18. Jesus came to reveal God to us. And we could say that, yes, yes, we know this. We're here every Sunday, Matt. We hear you preach this message every Sunday. We understand, we see uh, God through Christ. And we can see this uh, if we looked back at verses 1 to 5, just based on the description of who Jesus is in verses 1 to 5, uh, there's some pretty serious stuff about who he is, right? The, the theological term for that is Christology, right? Who Jesus is and what we believe and what we study him out to be. This is revelation. This is revelation that John, uh, John is giving us, or he's telling us that this is what Jesus has come to do. But in verse 14, we see some more detail here. We see a little bit more uh, a poetic detail, I think, uh, in verse 14, where John tells us the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. See, this one who is all-powerful, who has all the majesty of God because he is God, he took on humanity and he took on a human body and he lived with his people. Right? Jesus came to be the revelation of God to us. And he did this by being the word made flesh. The word dwelt among us. And here's one of the the beautifully, I think, kind of poetic things about this phrase, dwelt among us. I, I noticed this comment in the ESV study Bible. It says that this phrase, dwelt among, us, dwelt among us, literally means that he pitched his tent among his people. Jesus pitched his tent among his people. I mean, number one, that's beautiful in and of itself. God, who has all the riches and glory and, and just everything of being God, came from heaven to live as a man, pitches his tent. Tent living is not very glorious, is it? You know, me and Timothy are going to find this out very soon when we do some of our first uh, hikes with, uh, with uh, Bob and Isaac, too, for the trail life stuff. Tent living is not super glorious. So God, the eternal God, comes out of heaven to this place that would be far beneath him to dwell with us. And this is why it's poetic, though, because there's another piece to it, too, church. Because if we think back to Israel in the wilderness, before they landed into this land of promise that God gave them, they carried with them this tent. They carried with them the tabernacle, and they would take it, and they would set it up everywhere they would stop. And the point of the tabernacle was so that they had a place for the presence of God to dwell with the nation as they were moving throughout the wilderness to the final promise. 
amazing the little details there in that one little phrase that uh, he came, the word came to dwell among us. I think there's deeper significance and, and a beauty and a poetry to that that I definitely don't want us to miss. Jesus comes and he pitches his tent. He's condescended. He's left heaven. He's, he's done something that's well beneath him and below him. And we're the ones who benefit greatly from that. Jesus tabernacles with humanity. His presence, the very presence of God, is once again dwelling among men. We've seen His glory. John tells us in verse 14, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Moses, John tells us, came or, or gave us the law in the work that God gave him to do, but Christ, Christ has come now to fulfill the law, and in doing so, through giving of himself as this sacrifice for my sin and for your sin, he reveals the grace of God and the steadfast love that God has promised his people. I said it earlier, God will not fail, and he has not failed, church. He has not failed in his promises to Israel. And we see that fulfilled in Christ. And that promise is there for us to lay hold of and lay claim to today, church. God's steadfast love continues and persists even to this day. And this is the revelation of God. Jesus, Emmanuel, is the revelation of God. It is Christ who has made God known to us in all of his fullness. As he came from heaven to eat and drink and, and walk and teach and heal, to live amongst mankind, only to ultimately suffer and be humiliated and put to death as a criminal, in order to bring the power of God into the world, to break the curse of sin, to set captives free, to reconcile and restore people to a right relationship with God himself. This Jesus is truly Emmanuel. He is God with us. He reveals God to us. He has made God known in His grace and His truth. As Jesus, who has been at the Father's side for all time, He has made God known to us in all of His fullness. Jesus gives us revelation of who God is. John said it in verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. I always rush through that. I need to slow down a little bit, church. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Again, there's some heavy theology as we deal with uh, ideas like the Trinity and Christology, who Jesus is. But we know from that one verse that it is Christ walking amongst men, dwelling with us, that we see the beauty and the grace and the justice and the mercy and the perfection of God. That's why we look to Christ. This is why we, we, we come and we celebrate. We, we, do, we celebrate Christmas and we do this series we've called Emmanuel, God with us. Because God, through Christ, literally came to dwell with us. 
Last thing I have for us, church, sticking with the R's, right? We had uh, reconciliation. We had revelation. The last thing for us I want us to consider is that we need to respond to Jesus. We need to respond to Jesus. The picture that we get of Christ in John chapter 1 is a picture of a man of God who cannot be ignored, who has made himself known to humanity. And we have to look at that picture and we have to say, is he real? Is he true? Is he to be trusted? And time and time again, the entirety of God's word really gives us that picture of God who has been consistent, who has been faithful, who has been just, who has continued to persist carrying forward his promises even in the face of humanity who wants to reject them and turn from them. So we have to respond to this Jesus today. Jesus is Emmanuel. He is the fulfillment of God's promises throughout the Old Testament. He is the grace of God and the truth of God revealed to us through his incarnation. Jesus is the the true light. He is light to the world who has overcome the darkness. We have to believe and we have to trust in him today, church. And we do that. We do that for forgiveness. We do that for the forgiveness of our sin. The Bible tells us in, in John 1, or 1 John, or 1 John, sorry, I'm getting my, my uh, writings of John mixed up right now. But in 1 John, he says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins. All of those things that are weighing us down, that are, are keeping us ashamed, we can take those things and we can lay them at the foot of the cross and we can repent and we can say, Lord, I believe I put my hope and my faith in Christ. Thank you. Thank you for dying as a sacrifice for me. Thank you for giving me the right to something that I never deserved. We respond to Christ. If you haven't, I just want to cry out to you, please respond to Christ today in that way. Respond to Christ. He has overcome the darkness. And he's died to make you a child of God. The last thing there, too, for us as we think about responding to Christ is that this is the foundation of being a disciple of Jesus, right? If we say we followed Christ, if we say we're Christians, if we we say we're a disciple, whatever language, whatever, whatever words we use, it begins with Christ. It begins with acknowledging him and recognizing him for who he is and putting him in the right place in our life, which is King He's the one we bend the knee to. He's the one we bow down to. He is the one we follow. Because we're no longer ourselves in Christ. But we're children of God. We're children of God. This is where if we wanted an application, I could literally probably give all the Bible applications here, right? Follow Jesus. There you go. There's all the applications for you today, church. But don't try to overthink it. Don't try to do too much today. Today is a day, I think, for reflection for us as a church. Today is a day for reflection for us as a people. As we march toward Christmas Day next week, when we we do celebrate the day of the incarnation, 
the day God left heaven and came as a man. This is a day for us to, to think about the immensity of that and to remember and to enjoy and to celebrate that once we were enemies, but now he's given us the right to be made children of God. This is why we celebrate Christmas. This is why we look to him as Emmanuel. The God who has come to dwell with us to make us his children. Not us, not our work, not all the good things we've done. Because we know if we look deep down in our hearts, we would see that that is extremely lacking. But it is because he came to us. Will you pray with me, church? Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the ability to stand up here and to speak. Uh, no matter how gravelly it sounds, God, I pray that it was your words that the church heard and not mine. Father, I pray that uh, your word speaks loud to our hearts, and I pray that whatever comes out of this, Lord, would deepen our fear of you, would deepen our love of you, would encourage us and bring us joy to know that you made us your children in faith, Father. Let us look to Christ today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.